This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. G'day folks, uh, welcome to the How You Going Mate podcast. This is podcast number two. Um, and of course, my very special guest today is an old friend of mine uh, who uh, I went to school with and I've known for over 30 years. And uh, of course, I think uh, he's got a pretty interesting story to tell about uh, alcohol and uh, gambling and mental health and of course, uh, redemption. So without further ado, I'm going to ask the very simple question. Nathan, how you going, mate? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's as simple as the introduction's going to be. That's all it needs nice. to be. Um, bit of bit of background. Um, this is podcast number two, and and one of the things I said this to him when we pulled up. One of the things that I've uh, wanted to do with this podcast is to have people on who I were part of my recovery journey. And so for me. A big part of my recovery journey was the process of purchasing my own unit. Yep. And at the time, you were working in a as a, a mortgage broker. Yep. And I um, I went. I went. Mum said to me, "Do you know anyone that does more?" I said, "I do." Nathan, I went to school with, and she said, "I think we could uh, probably ask him to come and do this." And I said, "Yep, excellent." So, part of this was part of my recovery journey was having a place of my own. And having a place of um, that was just mine, nobody else's, yeah, and that I and 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 gave me that sense of, and when they talk about recovery, that sense of uh, empowerment, sense of identity, you know, this is mine, this is me. Yeah, I it's not I that lived, shared identity of, of yeah, someone else's place. I didn't move into someone else's space. We didn't, you know, I didn't have to adapt to their stuff. That's my picture on the wall. That's my rug on the floor. That's my lounge. I chose them. 100%. It's taking back who you are. Cool. Um, now, sir, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Guest number one. Hope we've had 57 listens to the first one. If we can get 60, we're laughing. Oh, I'll set the record. Now, I'm, I'm going to open with a, a fairly broad question, and you answer this however you think you need to. All right. What does mental health mean to you? When you think of the term mental health, what do you think of? The first words that come to my head straight away is misunderstood. Right. And for me, it was not, and I heard this in your first podcast, I, I, I didn't learn anything about mental health until I was 40. Yeah. You know, so I, I went through the first four decades of my life um, believing as I was taught as a young guy that A, men don't cry. Yep. B, if you've got a problem, sort it out. You got yourself into this, get yourself out of it. Yep. And don't talk about it because no one else wants to hear it. Everybody's dealing with their own crap. They don't need your crap on top of it. Yeah, that's actually, that's 
I definitely think that's one of the things that you do. And I reckon the other part of that is we don't show vulnerability. 100%. You, you know, and, and I you know, give people an insight. We went to school together. Yep. Um, you, that environment that we existed in, you can't show weakness in that environment. You, any sign of weakness was exposed and it was... Either ridiculed or violently attacked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you said, so 40 years of age, you started to get aware of mental health, what was, what was the start of that like? Scary. Yeah. Um, I, I got into a position where, um, and being completely candid, I, I suffered through an alcohol addiction. Yep. I suffered through a gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where my wife and I had separated I um I missed out on Christmas um, with my kids. Mm. I was living outside the home, and to be brutally honest, um, my best thought was that my life was better off not being around. Mm. You know, and I'll I'll never forget it. I, I was staying my wife and I own a childcare centre together, and she'd thrown me out, and I was living above the childcare centre for a little while. And it was the 26th of December, 2016. And I was literally getting in the car to come out to my house here and say goodbye to my kids and and my wife and go home and and be done with it, you know. And I got in the car and I started the car and out of the radio instantly, the first thing, and I never leave the radio on in the car, but the first thing that came out was an ad for South Pacific Private Hospital. Yeah. And if you've ever heard them, it was the it was the gambling one. Yep. And it goes through a set of questions. You know, oh, I've done X, Y, Z, but I don't have a problem. You know, I've I've made a fool of myself, but I don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yada yada yada. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I heard that, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this choice, this chance, mm. and do a 28 day, 29, whatever it is, stay at a, at a rehab, and Worst case, absolute worst case scenario, when I come out, I can do what I was intending mm. if if I'm not changed and I'm not feeling any different than I am now. Mm. But I owe myself and my family one shot, you know, and I thought and I still think that this is my only, my last shot, mm. you know, and that was two years and six months ago. Um, I had to wait three months cooling off period. So it was March when I went in. Mm. And... I, I honestly thought I'm going to walk in here and, you know, I, I had multiple problems um, that I've, I found out through that process. Mm. But I, I thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm the worst. Mm. You know, <laughs> I, I've, I was a liar. I was a thief. I was yeah. a cheat. Um, I, I couldn't, once I started drinking, I couldn't stop no matter what, unless I passed out, got thrown out or ran out. Yeah, that that was my stopping point. Yeah, yeah. and the same with with gambling and, and poker machines, you know. And I thought I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to be the worst, and everyone's going to look at me and say, "Guy, we've helped thousands of people, but you're, you're Jeez, no, no one's been as bad as you." Yeah, hundred yeah. percent, right? And I walked in, and the first two people I met were like, you know, I said, "Oh, hi, I'm Nathan, mate. I'm I'm here for for gambling and and whatnot," and they're like, "Yes, I wait." I'm like, um, you know, I couldn't even be the best screw up. Was what I thought in my head, you know. I couldn't even be the best at that. And what I what I come to in there, you know, I, I did twenty nine days in yeah. in South Pacific away from my family, and there's no there's no phones, 
There's no internet. There's no Facebook. There's no caffeine. There's no sugar. There's no newspapers. There's no TV. There's no radio. It's 24 hours a day working on you in isolation. And I had a really good friend who's who's since passed that was suffering through cancer at that time. You know, and I, I remember distinctly, I rang my wife and I said to her, you know, how's Jay going? And she said, doesn't matter. It's nothing to do with you. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're there to work on yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was completely isolated from the world just in a bubble of recovery. Yeah. And what I come to learn is that I had normalized so much of my story that the stuff that, that, that I sort of went through as a young guy and a teenager and so on yeah. was normal to me. Give me, can we, can we have an example of that? Absolutely. Um, one of the, the the programs I went through in there was a, a program called Changes with a with a, uh, a therapist. There It was like six or seven hours of group therapy each day for a week. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah. And she said to me, you know, there was five of us in the room. She's like, everyone, everyone to come up with like a funny story that you can remember from when you're a kid, like a funny memory. Yeah. And I remembered a story, and I, and I don't remember the memory as such but i remember the story because it was told so often yeah. where my parents were renovating a house we were living in i was thinking about five years old and i kept getting in the way so my uncle put a dog collar on me in a leash and tied me to the clothesline <laughs> and yeah okay hilarious right yeah, yeah, yeah. and she said is that funny and i went yeah it's a funny story she said okay go home and do it to your son yeah and it wasn't until she said that that i went you know what that shit ain't funny no. That's that's not cool. That's brutal. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in my head, where we grew up and, and that sort of stuff, you know, the smack in the mouth from, from dad or, you know, all that sort of stuff was just normal. Yeah, yeah. All of my mates had the same sort of upbringing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember telling that, you know, one of the first things I ask you to do there is to go through a timeline of your, your life from zero to 19. Yeah. The, the key things that you can remember that may have had a negative impact. Yeah, yeah. And I remember going through that with, with the group, you know, that I was in. And a couple of people were crying. Yeah. And I was monotone. And one of the things that, that you know, my therapist asked the group, you know, what, what is the main thing that you noticed about that whole story? Yeah. And to a T, every one of them said he sounded like he was telling someone else's story. Yeah. Like total disassociation. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other people were sharing their timelines and so on. And, and I was in tears. And I'm like, that's so much worse than mine. And they're like, no, <laughs> it's just the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sort of flipped everything around for me. You know, I, I, the, the stuff that, that, that I kind of, little bits and pieces that I went through as a young guy, yeah. you know, was just, I, I thought, was just what happened. Mm. I, I never realized the impact that that sort of stuff has. Mm. And it's since I've been out, you know, I, I, I see a therapist week, or weekly when I can mm. and we're working through some stuff and what she sort of explained to me made a lot of sense, you know, in, in stuff that's happened in my life. Mm. That, and the way she explained to me was that when you sleep, your brain processes the day's activities. Mm. You know, that's what they, they have that REM sleep, mm-hmm. processing the, what she calls into the vault. And when you have a traumatic experience, it blocks the processing of it and it remains in your fore memory, not in the not in the in the vault. Mm. So that explained to me why I get triggered by things mm. 
that make me feel bad when it's not really all that big of an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's the emotional memory that's associated to it, right? Mm. And it just made a lot of sense to me. You know, things that I thought I had dealt with mm. and, and processed, that just hadn't been, you know? And as I go back to the, to the start of that journey in, in rehab, just sitting there and, and you use the word vulnerability and I love that. Mm. You know, one of the things that my, my chief therapist or my primary therapist said to me in there and two of them that really smacked me between the eyes and he asked me the question, you know, what is the opposite of addiction? And straight away I said abstinence. And he's like, no, connection. Yeah. I introduced to this concept recently actually, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. And I was like, yeah. how does that work? And he, he asked me, he said, when was the last time you gambled with your friends? And I was like, no, don't gamble with your friends. They don't do yeah. it properly. Yeah. <laughs> How often did they you... They don't do $5 hits. Exactly. They only do 40 cent hits. And they God. can't gamble. They can't double up properly. Bloody amateurs. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when, when would... When you, you may go out and have drinks with your friends, but did you end the night alone? And invariably, yes. And we, we've, had, we've had nights like that. 100%. We, you and I have had a night, like a couple of nights like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And he said... Addiction survives in isolation. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there was that that shocking res- uh, revelation for me that yeah. if I can stay connected with people, mm. then the need for that addiction is going to dissipate. Yeah, and that was mind blowing. Connect- connection, like my big thing is animal behaviour, and yeah. hu- and humans as animals, and how much of what we do is still connected to this primal stuff that exists within our body connection is our evolutionary superpower absolutely you know i always say to people we weren't the biggest animal we weren't the strongest animal we weren't the you know the 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 most vicious animal necessarily we didn't have claws we didn't have any of that stuff but we had a brain and we formed groups absolutely so maybe one of us against a crocodile wasn't going to work but eight of us against a crocodile we're a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And then if we add a weapon into that and use our brains, well, well they're there. It's a whole new ball game. And the, the connection, for me, the connection thing is really important in terms of also isolation. Yeah. Because the first thing, as you say, when we gamble, we isolate ourselves or we stop going and talking to people because we want to go and gamble instead or we want to go and drink instead. You know, I can't do that social activity because I have to feed this compulsion that I have absolutely. over here. Yeah. And look, d- depression and anxiety are the same for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, they survive in isolation because oh, I'm the most 100%. depressed person there ever was. I'm the most anxious person there ever was. No one can be as bad as me. No one's me. as bad as me. And if I tell them, they're going to think I'm a freak. Yep. And it's, it comes back again. The other thing that he said to me is that there can be no connection without vulnerability. Mm. If you're not vulnerable to, to other humans... You, you can't fully connect with them. But it's the scariest place in the world. Oh, 100%. Scariest place in the world. 100%. And I, I honestly think that women do it a lot better than men. Mm. I, I feel like that there is that innate vulnerability among friends with yeah. women and they tend to do it better and they get closer quicker. Yeah. Whereas the blokes, as you... And I said, I think you said it in the first podcast, you, you, you play a sport, you go in the sheds, you have a few beers and you talk about other sports. No. 
You yeah. definitely don't talk about how you how bad you feel. Today. I couldn't think of a single time where I've gone and had a beer after a game of footy <laughs> and sat around and talked about my feelings. No, you know? unless never. it was your feelings about the victory. Yeah, yeah. You know, then that's okay. Yeah, but never never bad feelings. The, on a side note, when when um, people got all up in arms about Trump Trump and his locker room talk, yeah. I was like, no, no, that's that's what we do. That is what like, we do. Every man in the world's going, oh, that's terrible, but that's what happens. We have. You know, we talk about which girls we're going to go after or, well, as we said, what, how many drinks we're going to drink or what we're going to, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's it's that, and I, I hear this word bandied around a lot, toxic masculinity, and I don't really buy into that. I don't mm-hmm. really know really what that is. But it is toxic that guys can't talk to other guys, mm. Mm. you know, and you'll find, or I found, I was a lot more open with, sh- with my wife mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I was with the boys. Yeah. But it's a different connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women, I believe, women need connection with other women because innately they understand better what they're going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And men need connection with other men because they innately understand what they're going through. Yeah. But when they don't connect and they don't show that vulnerability, you don't have that understanding between mates. Mm. And how are you going, mate? My stock standard answer to that was good, thanks you. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. No, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. Mm. You know, 100%. And I got called out on that. I think it was my first or second day in rehab. <laughs> One of the, the therapists said to me, you know, you're new here. I haven't seen you before. My name's so-and-so. What's your name? I said, I'm Nathan. He said, how are you going? And I said, oh, I'm good, thanks you. He said, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Straight away. If you were good, this doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. He said, you're in a psychiatric hospital, buddy. You're not good. And I was like, wow. And that was my defense. Yeah, yeah. My defense to the world was good, thanks you. Yeah. That was how I deflected your question because I didn't want to answer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think you cared anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think, and that's, you get into that, how you're going, mate, as a, as a greeting. Yeah, yeah. Where you don't really care what the answer is. It's just a, a way of saying hello. It's a social convention. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a nicety that you have to do as a part of a social interaction. Exactly. How you going? Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. 100%. And people get uneasy mm. when you say, I'm not real good. Mm. You know, the, the instant response for them is, oh, you'll be right. Yeah. Well, cheer up, mate. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't want people to tell me to cheer up. Yeah. I, I want you to go, you know, I get it. Yeah. You know, oh, I've had that before. Yeah. You know, I, I do, as I said to you earlier, um, before we started the podcast, I, I go to, to meetings of uh, 12-step programs, a couple yeah. of different ones. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I enjoy that so much and I get so much out of it is that I'm in a room full of people that are not going to offer me a solution. Yeah. They're not going to tell me how to fix me. Yeah, yeah. They're going to tell me they get it, yeah. they understand, and this is what they did to get well. Yeah. And I can choose to, to, to do that or not do that. There's no pressure. There's no, if you don't do this, you're going to stay sick. Yeah. It's, hey, look, this is what I did. I feel better. Yeah. You know, and if you hear that from, like I hear it from hundreds of people a week. Yeah. How they got better. Yeah. And I take snippets from everyone. Yep. And that's the conversations. And, and we often joke about you poor normals that, are, <laughs> that don't have a 12-step program, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get to go into that place and yeah, get yeah. that healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I traveled... Overseas, I've been to meetings in in Las Vegas. I've been to meetings on cruise ships. <laughs> yeah, those are my two favourite things. Like 
the, literally the drinking and gambling capital of the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I went, man, I went to a midnight a meeting of, of Alcoholics Anonymous in Las Vegas yeah. and had a connection with a with a African American ex marine. Yeah. That I had never met before, and we spoke for about two hours. I didn't yeah. get back to the room until two in the morning, you know. And we spoke for ages, and we told each other the same story, mm. exactly the same story. Yeah, yeah. And what I got from that is that I travelled all the way to the opposite side of the world and couldn't have picked someone more polar opposite to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, I'm a white guy from Australia. <laughs> He's an African-American ex-Marine. I've never fought in any wars oh, yeah, yeah. except on football fields. Yeah. And yet we were the same. Yeah. We had the same issue with the same thing yeah, yeah. and we had the same mental garbage that goes with it yeah, yeah. that we felt like we had a, a lock on this problem. You know, we were the only one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And here were two guys from total polar opposites that yeah. were identical in the way we thought, the way we reacted to things, how we dealt with things, almost the same. And I think the thing that happens in that environment, we've, we've been, I've been, in, as part of my job role, um, doing a lot of work around like recovery and mental health peer work over the last couple of months and, and having, I feel like a similar kind of, experience yeah. in that hearing people's stories telling people my story exploring my story in the context of their story understanding my story better but when you open yourself up a little bit it says to the other person well you you're a safe place i can actually and i and and that language where we talk about safe spaces and all that sort of stuff that yeah. still kind of clings in my head a little bit but <laughs> you're a safe place yeah, hashtag me too but i mean that's a whole nother discussion but the 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 idea that okay it's safe for me to talk to you about this now i can tell you what's going on in my in my world and i mean this discussion neither of us are going to go away from this and go man he's messed up man I, you know oh hey guess what i heard about so and so neither of us are going to do Absolutely. well they're going to hear it here anyway Absolutely. but you know it neither there's you, you just you get to, you create that little space where someone can be okay with it, yeah. And then and you let someone know that it's all right to tell your story. It's all right. No one in this room is sitting there going, oh, "Man, that guy." And as you sort of said earlier on, you walk into these, you walk into a mental health issue thinking, "I'm the worst. I am yeah. the worst." And Absolutely. then you look around the room and go, "Oh, okay. No, I'm not." Because I, I make the joke, and this is, and I'm only starting to realise that I shouldn't actually do it this way, but. I make the joke that I'm a lightweight in the mental health world, right? Right. And <clears throat> what I mean by this is, is I got my medication right the first time. Yeah. Didn't have to try half a dozen. Got the one. It worked for me. Found a counsellor that worked for me. Yeah. Did half a dozen, 10 sessions. Went back a couple of years later to get a little tune up, but did half a yep. dozen, 10 sessions. That worked for me. And... That process, in terms of what other people do, like didn't do 28 days in rehab, mm. didn't get hospitalised against my will, haven't tried a half a dozen medications, haven't been electroshock therapy, haven't had any <laughs> of that stuff, you know? Yeah. So I think of it as a spectrum. I'm at this end of the spectrum. But then what I forget is that process took three years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, four years of really hard work of me having to consistently think about myself, being challenged when I started a new relationship and going, oh, okay, I'm not quite as fixed as I thought I was. I've got to go and do some more work now, yeah. trying to, to understand that. So for me, it was like I, I sort of am now starting to get a little bit more sort of like, you know, actually, yeah, you did actually do a little bit of hard work. 
know you didn't do as much as others and you didn't have the same experience, but you still had an experience yeah. and it was still intense and you can still use that moving forward, give something to other people. Absolutely. And, like, I find from the people I've met through, the, through mental health, whether it be in addiction or not in addiction, the, the thing that stands out the most with all of them, and I haven't met an exception to this yet, is that they either maximise their, their problem where they believe it's the worst in the mm-hmm. world or they minimise it because it's, it's, just, it's not significant enough to talk about. Yeah, yeah. No one, and, and for me, the, the biggest achievement I've had in my entire recovery life is understanding that I am the right size. Mm. I'm not bigger than or, or smaller than. I'm not better mm-hmm. than or worse than. I'm just the same. Yeah. And when I was young, man, I, that would have devastated me to know that I was the same as everyone else. I thought I was Jesus yeah. and God rolled into one, you know. And I suffered. And this is another thing that I learned, you know. Like, I kind of knew anyway, but I had a massive, massive ego. Right? I know that's come as a shock. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that, no. <laughs> but underlying that massive ego was a dismal self-esteem. Facade. Yeah, just a mask. facade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The masks that that we all wear, you know, and yeah, yeah. I, I used and I say this a lot. I, I was the loudest at the party so that you didn't look at me. Yeah, you know, because that loud mouth blends in; they disappear. Yeah, yeah, you know, I had to be the the center of attention to not be the center of attention, if that makes any sense at all, mm. because I was so loud and so in your face all the time that that was just me. Yeah. You know, no one really, and if anyone did try and take too much time to get to know me, I, I tended to withdraw uh-huh. to a new group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I started off with X group when we we're in, I think, year 10 or whatever, migrated to another group, migrated to another group throughout high school. Yeah. And it, it was a thing where I kind of, whenever anyone sort of got a bit too close for comfort and started to really know the real, and I didn't realize that I was doing this at the yeah, time, yeah. but when people started to get close and maybe would get to know the real me, I ran yeah, yeah, because I didn't like me. So if you got to know who I really was, you probably wouldn't like yeah, me either. Yeah, yeah. So best that I just go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and one of the underlying, the primary fear that drove my life that I, I now understand was that I don't belong. Mm. No matter what situation I was in, I didn't belong there. And the irony of the first place I actually felt like I belonged was in a psychiatric hospital. Because all of a sudden you're surrounded by a group of people that are just like you. Just like me. Yeah, yeah. And you meet a guy on the other side of the world who is just, just like, like you. Just like me. And the yeah. reality is everyone is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that... that Learning that was was huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody is messed up in their own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all think we're uniquely messed up in that way. And our stories, are they have some parallels, they have some differences. Yeah, yeah. But the end result is there was a mental health issue that we have, for want of a better word, attacked mm. or, or tried to work on. Mm. And it's still there, mm. but we've got a better handle on it now. I, I think of it, my dad gave me this concept a while back of um, thinking of it in terms of injury. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, my take on it is this, you, you take on a certain amount of trauma. Yeah. Right? And, and I 
probably a slightly different definition of trauma because people often think physical and sexual and things like that uh, abuse but you know emotional trauma emotional damage as you say the things that you don't think of i.e being you know tied up to a, a clothesline um I, I had an uncle that used to chase us with riding crops yeah you know and smack us and and people are horrified like i would never dream of smacking my child with a riding crop but that's what it was but i think of it as um trauma that eventually just causes an injury yeah and, and the injury is internal so you can't see it. and you can't see it and, and 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 then so what we do is we rehab the injury yes you know we work on the injury we fix the injury now you and I both old footy players, and I'm sure you've got a bung knee or a bung shoulder or something. Yeah. We know now that we can't go back into that place that caused the injury. We're both in our 40s now. We can't go and play a game of rugby league or a game of rugby <laughs> union now. We, Absolutely can't, we can't do that. We can't expose ourselves to that trauma, so we don't. That's something that we just go, nut. Nah, that's over there. We're not going to go there. And to me, I think – I always say to people, for me – I understand that part of my depression was created through my childhood. Mm-hmm. Different experience to you in that my father just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, so I understand that it was created in my childhood. Um, I talk about my marriage breakdown being a catalyst, being a thing that brought me down. Um, you know, there are a set of circumstances that I will go through that I know will cause me to be back in that space. I've had it happen. It's happened once. I can do it. I know it could happen again. Funnily enough, I got married again. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to divorce this one. Um, but um, but I look at it. So I look at it as we look after the injury. Yeah. We do what we need to do to take care of the injury. We, if we need to ice the injury, we ice the injury. If we need to rest the injury, we rest the injury. If we need to go back and see the doctor and get it looked at again, we go back and get it looked at again. Absolutely. And we try, if we can, to stay away from that set of circumstances that's going to create that damage again. Oh, for sure. And, you know, there's there's a whole lot of different ways to look at it, you know. And yeah. It, for me, it comes down to when X thing occurs, you know. And X thing, whatever that is, is yeah. going to occur, you know. I, I need to have a, a set of tools in place... Yep. that I can whip out of the tool belt mm-hmm. to deal with that situation. Yep. You know, and my history says that without that tool belt, my way of dealing with it was the old Aussie way yep. of go and get smashed, yep. um, play poker machines, yep. and uh, drown it. So use depress the memories with the alcohol yep. and then use the gambling to get those nice serotonin hits and all the exactly other things right. that make us feel good about life. And the problem was, and I say this quite a lot, is that no matter how fast and hard I ran from my problems, mm-hmm. when I sobered up, they still there. Still there. Yeah. And the problem wasn't the problem. The problem was me. Yep. You know, it wasn't an external thing that was causing me the problem. Mm. It was inside of me. And once I got to sort of understand that and start to look at all of the stuff that went around that... Mm it becomes easier to understand why those injuries are there. Mm. You know, why do I have problems trusting people in authority? Well, because my dad used to beat the crap out of me. Yeah. You know, and how do I have, why do I have problem? Why did I have problems as a kid forming proper relationships? Well, the model that I had of a relationship was not the best. No, no, no. You know, it was, it was physically and emotionally abusive. Yeah. 
So how do I how do I know how to form a proper relationship yeah. when that's what's been modelled? Yeah, you know. But I just thought I was the problem. Yeah, you know, I can't form a proper relationship because of me because I'm an asshole. Yeah, yeah. And whether or not I was is irrelevant. The fact is that that I had really different modelling of, of of how to do things. So inside me something would happen and it would trigger a response that was not in, not entirely my choice. Yeah. And understanding that, and I, again, I, I was sort of browbeaten by my, my sponsor. And I say browbeaten, he, he made it a, a journey for him to crush my ego because he said that my ego was a little bit too large for the room, yeah. which is fair, yeah. you know, and we did that. Let's be honest, it's still probably considerable. Well, it's been, <laughs> it's been pretty heavily smashed. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he worked pretty close with my wife to make yeah. sure that went away. Um, and admitting you're wrong is a big part of that, but yeah. I, I say, and I've lost my train of thought now, Adam, <laughs> that... You know, re- recovery. Everybody has their own their own set of circumstances, yeah. their own journey. Yeah, and yeah. for me, learning that my first thought is usually garbage. Yeah. You know, driving in traffic, the guy cuts me off. My yeah. first thought is to jump on the horn, hang out the window, and give him the finger. Yeah, you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I've learned over time, and it's only two and a half years, but in that time, I've learned that I let that first thought go through to the keeper. Mm. And what's the second thought? Because what if that guy's kid is about to be born and he's rushing to a hospital or exactly. his mum's just, he's got to go and pick his mum up from the airport or... Or he's an idiot that just likes to drive fast. Yeah. Either way, none of those things impact me. Yeah. What's the worst case scenario is he cut me off and took off and yeah. I was three seconds later to where I wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a big issue. Right. But I could stew on that. I could, I could actually go and have an alcoholic episode on that. I'll go out and drink on it. Yeah. How dare he? Does yeah. he not know who I am? Yeah. You know, I am the most important bugger him. And I'll be that angry and that resentful yeah. that I have to go and find a feel good now. Yeah. Whereas if, if I let that second thought permeate, it makes my life a whole lot better. So really, <laughs> a little five cent amateur for, you know, psychology here, but absolutely, you had a, a dad that, Broke your ego, yeah. made you feel like you were rubbish. You build a certain character around you, yeah. And now, anytime anyone challenged that, absolutely, it was it was a also you know how do you challenge me? But also the little boy inside you saying, "Hang on, someone's trying to break that ego again." Yeah, that dad's trying to break the ego. I'm not going to let you. Hundred percent. You're, you're, you're going to get out of this. And I, I went into hourly fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I was constantly in fight or flight. Yeah, yeah. And the only way I could break that fight or flight was to get drunk. Yeah. That was the only time when... And look, alcohol worked for me. Yeah. Originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until it didn't. You know, it was the solution to and the cause of all yeah, of my problems. Yeah, yeah. You know, but what I, what I learned is that... And you're right... I, it's that, that little, and I love the, the saying, the, the, the inner child. Yeah, yeah. The little boy inside, you know. When he gets attacked, like, and I imagine if, if it was my son. If my son's getting attacked, I'm going to defend him. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I used to do all the time. I'd defend this little boy inside me all yeah, the time from everyone. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know? And I don't want you getting too close to him. Yeah. Because he's precious. You leave him alone. 
He's already been attacked enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. You're not going to get to him again. 100%. Yeah, and yeah. what that did is it kept everyone at bay. Yeah. And it, it, and it made me an isolated, angry man. Yeah. Living in a, in a house with a wife and three children on my own. Yeah. You know? I was present physically, but mentally I was still on guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And the relationship that I've got with my wife and my kids now is a million times better. I'm open. I, I, I talk to them about who I am and what yeah. I've been through. Yeah. Um, not so much my girls, they're six and eight, but my, my older boy who's nearly 13, yeah. 13 next year, I talk to him about what yeah, I went yeah. through. He knows where dad goes when I, when I go out on a Monday night yeah, or a Friday night or whatever. You know, he knows I go to meetings and I, and I do that and I do that so that I'm a better person. Yeah. And he sees that I'm a better dad. Yeah. And regardless of whether, look, regardless of whether it's a, a meeting or a, a catch up with a mate. Yeah. If you can go and have a connection with someone, yep. you walk away feeling better. And it doesn't yeah. matter what that connection is. Yeah. You know, I catch up with an old friend, you know, and I do that every Wednesday night, it, it, except in extreme circumstances. Yeah. You know, and I, do, I, I try and make sure that nothing comes in the way of that. Yeah. And we sit at Macca's for half an hour and we have coffee and we talk garbage. Yeah. We talk about our garbage, yeah. our real garbage. You know, what's happening for you today? Not how was work and, and yeah, yeah. how much stuff did you sell or, or how many bloody graphs or whatever did you create? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's important to talk to people about sometimes, I guess, but I don't care. I don't know what's in your head. You know the question I hate more than any in, in the world, and I, I really, like I say this all the time, where you, you know, say we're at a party or we, we you know, having to get together and someone goes, so um, what's happening with you? Yeah. And you go like, what do you want to hear? You, you don't want to hear this. You don't want to hear me talk about the podcast. You don't want to hear me talk about I just spent an hour and a half listening to another podcast that blew my mind because it's about mental health. Oh, you know, not much. Do you really care about my job? No, you don't. Like, you don't care. Exactly. I can tell you a story about a training thing that happened to me the other day, but you don't care about that. Like, that's you'll politely listen to me, but yeah. there's not going to be any connection there. No. The better conversation is, you know, like, how are you? What's happening right now in your life? What's the deep dark? Don't tell me the... I hate that superficial conversation. And you, they have their place. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. you're meeting someone for the first time. Yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily want to go into a conversation about depression and anxiety. Yeah. But if, if you're at a... Use the party example. If you're at a party, you're generally around friends. <laughs> and if you're at a party with friends, like, I, I get sick of the crap conversations. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, I'm doing this at work. Don't care. Yeah, like I said, I yeah, I don't I'm care. I'm not really interested. You're not really interested. I, I start talking. I'm a data analyst, mate. I start talking about data analytics. I see people's eyes glaze over and roll back in their head. <laughs> you know, it's interesting to some people, but 99 percent of the people don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and unless you're in a meeting with a bunch of data analysts, I guess. But yeah. I, I do. I genuinely want to know how you are. I was working the other day, and uh, I was talking to a young girl. I was doing some spruiking in my other job, and. I was in a camera shop and I was chatting to this girl and she said, I'm really tired. I said, what are you tired for? She said, oh, I stayed up late studying last night. And I said, oh, what, what were you studying? And she goes, and I thought she might have been in high school, so I'm in English or maths. She goes, oh, no, I'm in first year at uni. I'm um, studying astrophysics. And I went, oh, I love astrophysics. And she went, she sort of looked at me like, <laughs> so no, like Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Brian Cox, I love those guys. It's amazing. It's an amazing subject. I sat there and I talked to an 18-year-old kid about astrophysics for for 10 minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just had this amazing conversation. Neither of us cared about selling perfumes, which is what we were doing. <laughs> that astrophysics conversation, though, that shit was really good. Absolutely. And that's the conversation I want to have. And that's the conversation that... that, that, yeah. that well, you remembered it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, she exactly. She remembered it, I've got no doubt. She'll go, oh, this dude, he knew who these people were. Yeah, and she may say, this weird guy <laughs> yeah, was talking to me. Creepy old dude. Yeah, creepy old guy. <laughs> but it, it, there was a real connection there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the level of connection. And look, there's an old saying that says it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't, that, that's not an old saying for no reason. The, the connection in the village and, the, and the, the community that goes around it is age old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. We live in isolation now. Eight out of 10 people, I reckon, don't know their neighbors. And the ones that, that do, generally, I would assume, have a better life. Yep. You know, in the old days when I was growing up, man, if I would, I would ride my bike and I would disappear. And I understand there's a the problem with predators and so on that kids can't do that. Well, you but know, that, actually, but that's not the, I think that was there then. Oh, I agree, agree, hundred percent. There's just no social media to report on. Well, it yeah, we just didn't just didn't know about them. <laughs> but I guess my point is that if I rode my bike up the road, right, yeah. and I was misbehaving, mm-hmm. by the time I got home, my dad knew. Yeah. Because the whole street knew each other. Yeah. You know, you didn't want to muck up yeah. because people were everywhere and they knew what you were doing. My wife at 43 still has people in her life that she refers to as Arnie and Uncle because oh, they were the people that lived next door and that was Arnie Robin and Uncle Bill or Arnie yeah, Leslie yeah. and Uncle Buzzy. And 100%. those people were as important, as important in her life as the mum, the dad, you know. Um, I, you, I'm 100% with you. I think that level of disconnection is real. Absolutely, and 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 I go. You know, I mean, weird theories about this. Not weird theories, but you know, I look at human beings, and we talk about Homo sapiens, anatomically modern humans, right? Mm-hmm. And we've existed for about one hundred and fifty thousand years, and for about one hundred and fifty thousand, for about one hundred and forty nine thousand and seven hundred of those, we lived in small communities. We lived in tribes. We lived in clans. We lived in families. We had lots of people around us. We had groups of people that had roles that did things. And then about 300 years ago, we had the Industrial Revolution. Yep. And all of a sudden, it all went... And everybody separated. And we separated. And we live into... And, and there's so much research out there for you know collective societies. Um, South Korea, I heard this one yesterday. South Korea. You know, this, incre- this society that up until only sort of 50 or 60 years ago was very collective... Families were still really strongly bonded. People knew each other. Yeah. And the technological boom in the last 50 years or so has separated that. Wow. And their suicide rates have risen and their mental health rates have risen. Oh, absolutely. And they've just gone over the top. Um, so, we, you know, I, don't, I know three neighbours in my street. I've got 10, 12 houses in my street. Yeah. You know, I know, I know three of them. One of them I don't talk to because he's a dickhead. But anyway, that's another thing. <laughs> and we, we live closer together than ever before. Yep. You can literally reach out in most places, reach out your kitchen window and grab, a, grab the tap of your, ki- of your neighbour's kitchen. My, the, the wall of my house is my next door neighbour's fence. That's it. <laughs> and yet we don't talk to yeah, each other. Yeah. Oh, I talk to that neighbour. But yes, I get, yeah, and, and absolutely with you. We're at work 16 hours a day. Yeah. Like, I'm lucky I get to work from home, you know, four days a week now. Yeah, yeah. But when I was working, I'm based in North Sydney, my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm an hour and a half train ride. Yeah. I leave home at four, half past four in the morning and get home at half past four at night. Mm. 
you know, I don't. By the time I get home, I'm buggered. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with my kids really. I don't want to deal with my wife. I don't want to really ask her how her day is because yeah. she's going to talk for two hours and I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I want to have some dinner and turn my mind off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we certainly don't have time for our neighbours. No. And that's where the problems start to come. You know, yeah. you get that isolation. You get that, that problem of not connecting. Yeah. You know, and we sit at work and I can only talk from my own experience. I sit at work and... I'm superficially connected to the people that I work with, mm-hmm. but I really don't want to go into too much detail. I never used to want to go into too much detail because I was worried about what people at work would think. Yeah. And it's only since I went through rehab, like, and I was kind of forced into this, right? Not forced into rehab, but forced into the fact that I had to confide in my boss where I was going. Yeah. Because I only had two weeks of leave. And how do you apply for unpaid leave for two weeks? So I'm going to pause you there for a second because the interesting thing about what you're about to say is I talk about you all the time. Wow. Okay. And I'll tell you why. You might remember this. Kieran Foran, when he was playing for the Parramatta Eels, asked for time off from work. Yes. said, I need six weeks to go and get my head straight. And one of your comments on that Facebook post was, if I asked my boss for time off to go and get my head straight, I'd be, I'd be directed to seek.com.au. Yeah. That's how old the comment was, folks, because seek.com doesn't even exist. So I, I feel like that was before, well before this happened. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was only two and a half years ago. Like, yeah. I, I talk about my recovery like yeah, it's been K- going K- Kieran was about three years ago. Yeah. So I, t- I say to people, so the example I use all the time is I say, you know, this mate of mine said this. Now, the interesting thing is if Kieran walks in and says, I need six weeks to take my shoulder, you know, to get my shoulders right. Nobody says anything. We all just go, oh, yeah, cool. No problem at all because you're a footballer and that's what happens. But because he says six weeks – and yours wasn't an isolated response. There was lots of other responses I saw in social media where people said similar things. Mate, some of the things I said about that situation were embarrassing now. Yeah. Like I said, I remember saying – and I can't remember if I put it on Facebook or if it was verbal – oh, Kieran's got to go off and and be away from his team because he's sad. Yeah. (laughs) I think you might have put that on Facebook. I just think, oh, my God. I spoke to my boss and I said, listen, I, I have a, a pretty serious addiction issue and I need to go to rehab. And he said, fine. Yeah. When I, when I got out, one of the first things that they did while I was in rehab, they do a thing every day called an integrity pledge. Yeah. Which is basically, I, I swear to uphold my integrity for this day. Okay. And it, it's a bit longer than that, but that's the gist. Yeah. And when I got out, he grabbed me and he said, you know, he wanted to know about what happened in rehab. Mm. You know, how to, and I told him about this integrity pledge. So he came in a half hour early every day to do an integrity pledge with me. Wow. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed with the employer that I have. Did you ever get the sense that, like I said before, he was starting to find a bit of himself yep. in you finding yourself? 100%. And you exposing that part of you? Let him kind of start to explore that part of him within that. Yeah, the vulnerability that come and it's got sort of got to be careful. The vulnerability that come. I, I told everyone in my workplace mm. that I was going to rehab, and when I come out of rehab, it was hilarious because people would say, "You know, I was gone for four weeks." They're like, "You know, oh, you were off for four weeks." So I said, "Yeah," and people that didn't know where I went, it was like, "Oh, where'd you go?" And I said, "I go to rehab," <laughs> and they're like, "No, really, where'd you go?" Mm. It's like, no, rehab. And I bet you the first thing that popped into your head, and I'm not trying to, but the first thing that popped into your head was people judged me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely wrong. Really? The first thing, the, the absolute first thing that every person <clears throat> to a person said, what was it like? 
Mm. Is it like it is in the movies? Yes. Yes, mm. it is. <laughs> if you watch 28 Days with Sandra Bullock, it's like a documentary. <laughs> it's, I, it's pretty we, close. We watched it in rehab, man. It was hilarious. And it's a serious movie. You shouldn't laugh so much, but we were cacking ourselves. <laughs> you see, they're going, Bill, that's you. Yeah, that's you, Bill. <laughs> and they sang Lean on Me in that movie. Yep. We, did, we oh. did that at rehab. It's so corny, but it was so good. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody was very, very supportive. Yeah, yeah. You know, earlier this year, I had an issue with depression and I wasn't coping. Mm. And I said, and I'm, I spoke to my, both my boss and my boss's boss about that. And I'd been to the doctor and she placed me on a mental health plan. Yep. And I, I went to my first visit with the, the psychologist. Yep. And her recommendation was to, to sort of work from home for a bit, you know, go into the office maybe once a week yep. and stay away. Because my, my issue was around, I was feeling very anxious with so many people and being away from my family for so long during the day and, yeah. and so on. And I mentioned that to my boss and he's done. Yeah. Work from home. We've got WebEx. We've, you've got a laptop. Yeah. Do what you need to do. The nature of your work means you can do that now. You don't need to be here Absolutely. in a physical space. Absolutely. Yeah. And I still go in once a week to, to have a, a face-to-face visit with, with the people I work with. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they were 100% supportive and... I, I don't know if this person that I work with will ever listen to this podcast. I hope she does. Mm. And I've spoken about her at length at, at AA meetings and GA meetings and so on. That's Alcoholics Anonymous and Gamblers yep. Anonymous, for those that don't know. Um, she booked a meeting with me. And she did, she, she works in a HR department. And she, she booked a meeting with me on a, on a date. And there was no subject for the meeting, and it was in the HR, what they call the HR room, which is coming from from a, from a corporate background. You know, yeah. the HR room generally hiring and firing. Yeah, you know, it's that room with no windows, so people can't see and so on. Yeah, yeah. So I turn up to this meeting, and she said, "Look, it's just a very quick meeting. I just wanted to congratulate you on six months clean." Nice. I tell people that story, and they're like, "She did what?" And I, I said to her, I, I, "I nearly cried. I was like, I can't believe that one you would remember." Yeah, and that too you would do that like yeah. and she was completely dumbfounded that I thought that was weird yeah. she thought it was the most normal thing in the world to do yeah, and, and well I'm, yeah I, I see both sides like I actually think it's odd not odd in like not an odd thing to do that's a nice thing to do absolutely but like yeah it's you, uncommon yeah, rather than odd yeah unexpected you wouldn't expect someone yeah. to come and do that with you yeah, I was blown away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell people in the rooms that my experience with my employer, and I guarantee you that fifty percent of people don't believe me, and a tiny bit relieved because you <laughs> didn't get fired. Exactly. <laughs> so, I want to go back to December twenty sixth, yep, two thousand sixteen. You you turned up here on the drive over. You've potentially made that decision. All right, I'm going to give this a shot. Yep. You walk in and you say to the wife and the kids, or the wife at least, this is what I'm going to do. Yep. What's the reaction? What makes you think this is going to work? Um, like, sorry, like every other um, compulsive gambler and, and, and alcoholic that ever was, yeah. I'd tried 500 times. Yeah, 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 minimum five hundred times. Take that, my cards off me. Stop yeah, the bank accounts. Do don't give me the pin numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. find a way. All of those things I tried, and what yep. was going to make this work? And I said to her, "Look, I don't know, but we've been together. I think now ninety six, ninety five that we got together. So it's over twenty years. Yeah, 
You know, at that time it was around the twenty year mark, and I'm like, do we do we owe it to ourselves to, to give this a shot? You know, I'm going to go anyway. Yeah, it's it's kind of up to you whether you're going to allow me back into the family or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the end, she sort of said, "Look, we'll give this a shot." Yeah, and she's she's walked beside me the entire way. Yeah, you know. I was in rehab. She was at home looking after three kids on her own. You know, she, and they told her not to tell me what was going on in the world. You know, and she stuck with that rule 100%. No matter how much I asked, no matter how much I begged. So what was it like? How are the kids? Good. Kids are... I got to speak to the kids. We got one visit in that four-week period with, yeah. with my family. But it was like, how's Jack going at school? Doesn't matter. Right, so not even like a, he's good, he's... No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, for her to do... That must have been so hard for her. Yeah. You know, and when I, when I got out, uh, they... Uh, I finally, I was broken enough to listen to, yeah. to, to suggestions. Yeah. You know, and this is one of my taglines that I say almost every time I share at a meeting, you know, that the program of recovery is suggested. Yep. Much the same as pulling the ripcord on a parachute is suggested. Now, now I've got to force you to do it. Yeah. You, you can go to the ground. It's a really good idea it's if you really do. It's a really good idea. You know? It's in your best interest. Exactly. And they told me do 90 meetings in 90 days. Right? Because it takes three months to retrain your brain into a cycle of I'm having a bad feeling. I'm going to go to a meeting instead of I'm having a bad feeling I'm going to go and get drunk and play poker machines. Yeah. You know, or I'm having a bad feeling I'm going to call my sponsor. Whatever the case is. You know, yeah. They tell me, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor and start working the 12 steps of recovery. And I remember sitting there thinking, I work full time. My wife runs a business. I've got three kids who have sport and so on and whatever. How the hell am I going to do 90 meetings in 90 days? Yeah. And I spoke to my employer about it. I said, all right, well, why don't you come in at six o'clock in the morning, work until three or four, whatever it is, and take a two-hour lunch break every day to go to an AA meeting of a lunchtime in the city. Yeah. You know, and I went to meetings of a nighttime as well. I went weekends. I suspect it's a kind of thing like, um, so you talked about cruise ships before. Never occurred to me there'd be AA, and they don't do GA, I don't think, but they do AA and NA. Narcotics Anonymous meetings on the cruise ship. Absolutely. And they have it in their, like we went like on the itinerary. Carnival Cruise, their fun ship program, which is um, uh, Friends of Bill W. Correct. I can't remember what the NA one it's is. Friends of the, the founder, I can't remember. Yeah, because Bill, Bill W is the Alcoholics Anonymous founder. Yeah, him and, and Dr. Bob. Yeah, so they, it was like, but I suspect it's like most people would read that and have no idea what it is. Most people would probably walk past the building with an AA meeting in it and not know that there's one happening in there. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and look, as I said, I got all these suggestions, you know, and yeah. I got out of rehab on a Sunday and I went to an AA, a GA meeting on, a, on Monday night. Yeah. You know, and that first meeting I found someone who, and they say find someone who's got, who has what you want, yeah. right, to be your sponsor. Mm, okay. And when you're looking at it, in the old days, I would have thought that meant someone who had a nice car and yep. a house and blah, blah, blah. What this guy had that I didn't have was peace of mind and serenity. Yeah. You know, he was calm, he was comfortable in his skin, 
And he seemed to have serenity. Yep. And I wanted that more than anything, man. My yeah. head, for 20-odd years, my head was running so hard. Yeah. You know, it slowed down when I was in rehab, but it was still pretty hectic. Yeah. You know, and I was compulsive. I, I was compulsive about meetings yeah. when I first got out. You know, I was getting... I get, in some, some um, meetings, you get a coin every month. You know, and it's just a recovery coin that says, congratulations yeah. on another month sober, more or less. Yeah. And I didn't get one for my two months. And I went to three meetings to find one until I got one. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I had to have it. Yeah. You know, I'm compulsive. I'm compulsive. Tim Tam meter too, by the way. <laughs> but uh, this guy had, he, he had what I so, so desperately wanted. Yeah. The next Monday night, I said to him, Can, would you sponsor me? And I was more nervous doing that than I was asking my wife to marry him. <laughs> Yeah, it's like asking for a date. It was like being back in high school, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and doing it sober. Yeah, yeah. For God's sake, it was it was yeah. horrible. <laughs> Normally, I'd have a drink for this. <laughs> yeah, and my brain tells me, my brain goes into the worst case scenario for every scenario. Yeah, you know, it never has. A, my mind just naturally does not go to the happy outcome. Yeah, it always goes to he's going to laugh at you until you piss off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I said to him, you know, would you mind, like, you know, maybe being my sponsor? And he goes, I'd love to. And I've worked with this guy now for two and a half years. Yeah. Just on making myself better. Yeah. And what I learned along the way is that, and it ties into the whole how you're going, mate, thing, yeah. is that he gets better by helping me get better. Yeah. And I learned that because I now have two sponsees yeah, yeah. that I work with. And I get so much more out of them than they get out of me. There's the um, the Dalai Lama talks about selfish altruism. Hmm. You know, you help people, but that act of helping people makes you feel good. Yeah. And you don't just help you people to make you feel good, but that really great outcome out of that is, is you feel better about it. So you do it because you know it makes you feel better. Because for me, I get off <laughs> myself. Hmm. I have, I lived as a self-centered, selfish completely all about me person for most of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to sponsor someone, I have to completely disengage from myself yeah, yeah. and live in their issue yeah. and help them get through early recovery. And you would know mm. is hell. Oh. It's tough. Do you ever look at photos of yourself and you just go, man, that guy. Mounties. God, I feel sorry for that guy. There's a photo of me and you at Mounties. Yep. Yeah. And... We're, we're talking, and I, I don't remember the conversation, no. but I remember the look on my... I can see the look on my face, and I know I'm telling you how the world is. <laughs> Probably. <And> I'm lecturing <laughs> you on something. Yeah. and Because that, that's what I did. Yeah. Every time, I would tell you exactly how to fix the entire world. Yeah. And I had no idea how to fix myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bravado. And, just yeah, bravado. 100%. I yeah. can solve your problem, yeah, yeah. but don't ask me about mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I didn't even know what I had a problem. Yeah, that was the scary part. And there's a there's a saying that we have in the training world that, um, that people don't argue with their own data. Mm. They just don't. No. If you if you know it and you think it's right, you don't you don't argue with it. It doesn't. And it, it takes a slap in the face to realize, and I say metaphysical metaphorical slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. To realize that that what you've been doing yeah. for so long is wrong. Yeah. Well, not wrong, but. Probably not the best way of doing life. And, and probably perpetuating some of this stuff. So the kids are getting similar experiences and they'll have their own traumas and things will happen to them. Absolutely. Yeah. 
dad being up for two days drinking in the in the you know dad needing a case of beer to mow the lawn. Yeah, and I mean literally a case of beer to mow the lawn, <laughs> and then finish the lawn and say to to my wife, "Hey babe, we're out of beer. Yeah, we need to get more beer." <laughs> You know, the footy's on this afternoon. And I can't go. I, I, well, I will. <laughs> if you want me to. You know, but it's best that you do. And yeah, yeah. I really want a six-pack, but it's cheaper if you buy a whole case. And I only drink yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I only drink one six-pack. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, that was my way of dealing with life. Because I didn't know how to do life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was an emotional cripple. Yep. Um, and I, I say this a lot. I was probably emotionally when I went into rehab. I was probably emotionally around twelve or thirteen years old. Yeah, that's where my I had my first drink at thirteen. Yeah, and I had my first drunk at thirteen. Yeah, I, I never. I hear these people, and I, I love these stories. It's so lovely that they, you know, they drank with their friends at the start, and they were so happy, and you know, alcohol was good for them, and, and yeah. alcohol was good for me because I blacked out. Yeah, you know, I, I never drank. Because I like the taste of something. I never yeah. drank to be social. I drank to get drunk. Yeah. That was the whole purpose of drinking. It wasn't any sort of social environment. Yeah. And I know now that what I did was try and run from life. Yep. Because I didn't, I was ill equipped to deal with it. Yeah. And by doing that with my kids, I was putting them in the same situation and making them ill equipped to deal with it. Yeah. Because I never had a, I never, I never had a male role model. Growing up, but yep. like my dad again was, he was a hard man. Yeah, you know, if, if, I remember one, some of the things he'd say to me is, "If I ever catch you running away from a fight, I'll flog you and then send you back to fight it." Yeah, yeah. like okay, mate, one of one of the best fights I ever saw was you. <laughs> you were in that fight. <laughs> I remember that day. That was it was horrible. And we fought to a standstill. It was a fought like forty five minutes, and then the next day you. The two of you walked in and, and shook hands and hugged each other. <laughs> it was, but the, the, so there was a beauty in that, and the beauty in that was there was a mutual respect there. Yes. Neither of you backed down, neither of you took a backward step, and ultimately, begrudgingly, you earned a respect for each other. Correct. Which and and I understand respect through physicality because there is an element of you know we've been footy players growing up. Yeah. You know I, I get that. Um, Part of the way you earn respect in that particular area is physical domination. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's there. It's happened. I get it. Um, look, I, I was petrified of... of uh, and when I say petrified, I, I, you know that I was not, not a well-behaved child at school. No. But I was never worried about a teacher. No. I never had a fear for teachers. No. I was petrified of what my dad would do when I got yeah. home. Yeah. But it wasn't enough to keep me well-behaved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was petrified that he would find out I was drinking at 14. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't enough to stop me drinking. Because this mask that you were building for yourself, this bravado that you were creating around yourself, that just had to be that had to be out there because yeah. you needed that shield 100%. to stop people seeing that, again, the frightened little boy. Correct. And what yeah. I've learned, though, is that respect through fear doesn't work. Yeah. Because eventually, at some point, the fear goes away. You know, and that for me was about 19 when my father smashed my yard glass. Oh, no, I would have been older than that because it was my yard glass from my 21st. It would have been 22. Yeah. And he smashed that over my head. And I proceeded to break both of his cheekbones and his nose. Right. So that fear was gone. Yeah. You know, so now what? What relationship do I have with, with my father yeah. when the only relationship we had was fear-based yeah. and the fear's gone? 
how do you have a relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was one thing that I always said that I don't want to have that fear-based relationship with my kids. Yeah, yeah. And my wife will tell you, she, she was petrified of, of doing the wrong thing at school because, because of her father. Yeah. And not because he was, she was scared. She was scared of disappointing him. Yeah. That was respect through whatever, but it wasn't respect through fear. She wasn't yeah. afraid of him physically. Yeah. She, she, was, she was upset by the fact that she, wouldn't, that, that he, she would disappoint him. I had a similar relationship with mum, which was um, I just wanted to make her proud of me. Exactly. And I still do. I still do. Exactly, right. Um, and that, that, that has a relationship because that, that doesn't go away. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that you want, that you want to make your mum happy and proud of you is not something that's going to evaporate. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a lasting relationship. Yeah. You know, and I was always afraid of upsetting my mum. And that relationship lasted right up until she died. Yeah. You know, and I always, me and mum were always especially tight. And that was because we had that relationship yeah. around that, you know. And the, the other side to that coin is that that isolated my dad. And yeah. I, I look at this now, right? I, I, had, I had a situation in, in recovery and look, one of the steps of, of, of the 12-step programs is to make amends to those you've wronged. Yeah. Um, unless doing so will harm them or others. Yeah. You know, so if somebody doesn't know something, is it in their best interest for you to tell them? Yeah. You've got to sort of weigh that up. <laughs> but my dad knew that I'd stolen off him. Yeah. You know, he was well aware of that. Yeah. And I, after all of the stuff that he had done to me, I had to go... To get well in myself, yeah. I had to go and make amends for that and keep my side of the street clean. I was talking about this before, yeah. keeping my side of the street clean. Yeah, and that's a tough conversation. Yeah, and I'm not looking for him to apologise. I'm not looking for him to say anything other than tell me how I can make it up to him. Yeah, because as a as a human being, I had to first forgive myself for all the shit that I'd done. Yeah, and the shit that I'd put other people through. Yeah. And then I had to go and say, look, this is my part of, of, of our whole relationship breakup and breakdown and, and the crap that went on. This is my part of it. Yeah. How can I make it up to you? Even if I don't want to. Yeah. Because it, it, it's taking me away from that selfish person again, you know, and that was, it was a tough thing to do. Mm. But I walked out of there feeling... 5,000 times better than I have in a long, long time. What did he say? He ignored it altogether. Huh. No, don't worry about it. It was the... No. It was the weirdest conversation I've ever had in my life. I walked out... I I did a lot of amends through this program, right? Oh, yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) And the only one that Sharon demanded to come along and wait out the front was my dad because he's a massive trigger for me. She said, I could see you walking out of there angry, resentful and going straight to the pub. Yeah. So she came with me and she waited in the car and she said she expected me to walk out of there furious, kick the door off its hinges and storm out or walk out crying or whatever. And I walked out, I was totally and utterly perplexed. I have never been more confused in my life. Why? I said to him, this is what I've done. I'd like to make amends. I haven't had a drink. I think I was about five, six months clean at that time. I had that drink or gamble for this long. And he's like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so hasn't done that either. 
they haven't had a drink for, for a long time. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. But, okay, back to what I was saying. This is, you know, me coming to try and make yeah. it up. Oh, do you know that such and such is a schizophrenic? Okay. Not sure what that relevance is, but yeah. let's back, try and get back on track here. Yeah, diff- different kind of mental issue, Dad. Okay, yeah. come back. And then there was something that, and I'll never forget what it was. There was a, a it was a news a news thing on the TV, mm. and this lady in some Asian country had driven away with the petrol um, hose still in the mm-hmm. car, mm-hmm. and that was being played on the news as I was getting through. What and he's like, "Oh, did you see that? Look at that. That's fine." I'm like, "Seriously? Yeah, yeah." It was total avoidance. Mm. He avoid. It was like. If you can imagine me having a conversation with you, yeah. but you having a conversation with someone sitting over on, on your right-hand side, yeah, yeah, yeah. my words were not matching your comeback to me in any way, shape, or form. We're having yeah. two totally different conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I said to him at the end, like, the, well, the first thing I said, and I hadn't seen him for three years, yeah. you know, at this point. Yeah. I walked in and I sat down. I rang him first to tell him, and I asked him if it was okay to come around. Yeah. I walked in, I sat down, and he said, how come the kids didn't come in? It was like I'd been there last week. (laughs) Okay. So I went through everything and I said, look, is there any way that I can make it up to you? And he just sort of brushed that away. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to go. And he said, all right, next time bring the kids in. Yeah. This is, they're probably not going to be here next time, dude. Yeah. This is kind of it. Is your your dad still? Yeah, he's still alive. Okay. I haven't seen him since that day. So what, three years now? Two years or just just over two years that I have Any contact, any... No. No. And look, there was a, a Facebook post that I put up and it was around mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a while ago. And he basically said in on a public Facebook forum where my my, my kids can see and so on, yeah. if, if you stayed off the drugs, you'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. And I never had an issue like that, right? No. Um, and I read that and I deleted it. I deleted his comment and I was just like... What is wrong with you? Yeah. We hadn't, at that point, we hadn't spoke, I hadn't done my amends yet, and we hadn't spoken in, in three years. Yeah. They were the first words yeah, that yeah. had passed between us. Yeah. And it was a Facebook, public Facebook post. Yeah. I was like, hey, what's wrong with you? And, and I think something like that just confirms, like you go, yeah, nah. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. We're better off without you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. he's, ne- look, I will say this, he has never done anything wrong by my kids yeah yeah he was always you know really nice to them and respectful and all that sort of stuff um he's just not good for me it's again five cent psychology his little boy never got repaired no, because I, you know, we know Massively that this stuff physical is physical abuse. That he yeah, went we know that it's perpetual. You know, he's experienced it, and all he oh. knows is how to do that with you. So that's all he does. Um, so you know, he may not even know. No, he did the. I, I firmly believe, and my sponsor said this to me, and I wanted to punch him. Yeah. Well, going through my resentment list, and it was massive the yeah. resentment that I had against him. He said, "You know what? Your dad did the best he could with the tools he had." Yeah. That's all he knew. I said, "How can you say that? Yeah. He did this and this and this and this and this." And he said. He didn't know no better. Yeah. So I don't blame my dad for for, for the relationship we have. Yeah. I I wear responsibility for it as well. Yeah. But I don't blame him for the stuff that that he did as a a parent either. Because he just didn't know any better. And and I reckon you and I have very similar experiences. Like, so I, I often talk about getting my male role models wherever I could. Yeah. I had a grandfather who I loved and adored. He was my idol. 
I had uncles that I, I took parts from. I had male like males in my life. So um, my mum worked in the garage for a period of time, and there was guys there that I took things from. And, but I often say to my kids, and I say to particularly the older one, like I don't know how to do this. I yeah. didn't. I didn't have an example necessarily growing up. Like I mean, my dad was my dad. We kind of started to get back in contact around fifteen. We really cemented it at like nineteen or twenty. But but I didn't have up until fifteen. Yeah, you had no idea. I don't know what to do here, and I, and I don't know how to do this job. I'm figuring this out as we go along. Yeah, well, we'll figure yeah. it out together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and look, you had the the grandfather, right? I, I, I latched on to my older brother. Yeah, yeah. And there was some news that come to him when he was about eighteen. Yeah, you know, and it, he was adopted, and he found out at eighteen. Yeah. And his life changed dramatically. Yeah. You know, he... Not not that his place in the family changed, but mentally his place in the family changed. His sense of self completely yeah, changed. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was really... And I look back at it, you know, and, and I understand he's eight years older than me, so I was eight. Yeah. Yeah. I was ten. So I had no idea. To me, he was just my brother. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter to me. He was my idol. Yeah. But now he doesn't feel like part of the family. Yeah. So he's disconnecting as well. So my, my my male role model is is emotionally physically abusive, yeah. or now disconnected. Yeah, yeah. So I had no idea where to look. Yeah. You know, and there's a there's a a, a guy that I'm really close with now who's, who's been my friend since I was about fifteen, and he looked to me he looked like he had his shit together when we were young. Yeah. You know and. I won't say his name because it probably will embarrass him, but he became my, my male role model. Yeah. You know, I, I, I tried to be like him. I reckon I know who it is. Yeah, I, I reckon <laughs> you know who it is. Because everyone well. loves him. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a person that doesn't like him. No, because he's, he's an amazing human, you know, and I, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to have the traits that he had. Unfortunately, what I couldn't see is that he had his own... Like he, everybody's got their own issues. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to be like someone that was a mask. Mm. It was a mask that he was wearing for everyone as well. So it's quite funny. And but, I, but then having said that, if you're going to pick between the funny mask and the gambling mask, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's probably the better probably one to the have. Probably the better one to have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's no, it's no um, coincidence that me and him were, became distanced for quite a while because of my behavior. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, something that I did. Um, and we were distant for five years or so. Mm. And I'll tell you what's freaky. We got married in that time, not to each other, mm. but we got married in that time. We got married on the same day. Yeah. <laughs> and we weren't talking in any way, shape or form. So yeah. we had no communication no to, to know that. Yeah. And we did it on exactly the same day, in the wow. same year. And it was crazy. But, you know, during the time that we were apart, that, that he wasn't in my life, I got worse. Mm. And I said to him, I'm really glad that we had that time apart because if we were still mates in that time, we wouldn't be mates now, I don't think. Mm. Because I, I, I got a lot worse. Mm. You, would have, you would have walked away at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We would have separated and it would have been worse. It would have yeah. been a bigger blow up than it was. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I count myself quite lucky to have someone like that in my life today. You know, like you, man. Mm. We, we were sort of mates at high school, mm. but I wouldn't say we were best mates. Mm. But then you sort of flash forward and you mentioned it in, in, in the first podcast, right? That Friday night. Hmm. 
you know, oh. with, with Steve that yep. Friday night. Yep. I can tell you, I don't know. I've got a rough idea where I was when nine eleven happened in America. I was in my house at at, at West Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you where I was on other major historical things. That night, I was at a, an AA meeting in Camden. Yeah. I know exactly where I was. I can almost picture the faces that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you how lucky I was. I was training with my, my me and my wife do personal training with a with a lady, and there's a whole group get down there. She's amazing. D at Technique Training, by the way, just a plug. Okay. Um, Hang on, I'll write that down because I might need that soon. Yeah, Technique Training down at Cantil, man. She's yeah. phenomenal. And we were there, and I said to, to Sharon uh, while we were training, I said, I don't know why, but I feel like I need a meeting. And I didn't – I've only been to that meeting twice at Camden, mm-hmm. and that was the last time I'd been there. Mm. And uh, the f- time before that was probably six months before. Mm. You know, And I was like, I just feel like I need to go to a meeting. And she's like, well, okay, whatever. We finish here at 7. We'll you know, got to be there by 8.30. So I went down there, and I happened to be sitting in a room full of people who just – grabbed me as soon as I read that, that message. Hmm. They were just hugging me and I was crying and they were telling me it was okay. And if I wasn't in that room, hmm. I probably would have drank that night. Hmm. Mate, I had a, a 12-year-old daughter that had just had brain surgery 10 days earlier. Yeah. And I sat there and I sobbed like a baby in her arms. Like I just cried and she just held me. And, and I said to her at the time, I said, I promise you I'll never do this to you. I promise you I would never do. So I always say to people, I never seriously considered suicide. Mm. I had moments where I went, could I, would the world be better off? This is too hard. Um, If this is the next 40 years of my life, I don't want to do it. But I never actually seriously went, okay, I'm going to do this. This is my plan. This is how it looks. This is what it does. Um, And I'd say to people all the time, because I didn't want to have to have someone explain to my daughter how much her dad loved her. Yeah, you you don't want to have to have someone say, "This is this is what you this is how he was with you. This is what he thought of you. This is how he behaved around you. This is what he did." And I'm still here because of that. But it was it, it was it was like, and and we you, we touched on this because we sort of touched on um, in the message we, we messaged before this where you know, six people that you know of in the last two years. Like I've only had two. Yeah. Um, and and that two were the same for you and I, the um, yeah. school friends. That, and Steve obviously is one of those that yeah. that is the catalyst for all of this. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I can remember that night in detail. Oh yeah, I can remember that night, in de- and I got in trouble off my wife because I mentioned going to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I walked into that toilet one person, and I walked out another person. Hundred percent. And it was just shift. It was. It was something, and I've spoken about this to a few different people, you know, the whole Steve thing, and I just don't, I don't understand it, but I understand it. Yeah. If that makes, I don't know, that probably is the biggest cop-out bullshit that there ever was, but that's just how I feel. Yeah. I understand his mindset. Yeah. I understand that I'm just in so much pain and I can't do what, people seem to need me to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm just useless. There's a theory that the brain chemicals change. There's yeah. a theory that the, 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 the neuro processes change um, and that nothing you do is going to stop that. That, that. That's, you know, that the only thing that will stop that is someone physically stopping you from doing it. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I'm. I look. Touching on what you said earlier on, Steve, like the rest of us, had his own damage. Yeah, he had his own trauma. Um, if I were to compare notes, his was pretty full on, and I think. And again, as you say, I'm just me. I fit where I fit, but his was much more serious. <laughs> but that's the thing, Adam. I would say that if you were to share your entire story, someone will sit there and go, God, that's a lot worse than me. Yeah, geez, I, geez, I had it bad. But, you know, this is the thing. I, I, look, you know, I, didn't, I was never physically abused. I was never sexually abused. Um, I haven't, to this date, had any repressed memories pop their head up. And I've had plenty of friends that have had those happen. Never happened for me. Um, examined myself a lot. So, you know, I, I consider myself in that regard lucky. Yeah. The emotional stuff, yeah, that's another story and it left its marks as well. But, you know, Steve was like the rest of us. He had things that had happened in his life. And I have this theory, I have this, and a sim- you know, again, you'll relate to this. The version of him that we saw in high school, the bravado, the risk-taking behavior, the piercing eyebrows, the, the crazy hair... That, that was his mask. That was his... You you were the loud guy. Yeah. You were the naughty kid. He was the rebel. Yeah. That's where it was, and, and we saw that. What we didn't understand, and this is my theory as well, I think my depression was in place at about 16, 17. I reckon yours was as well. I reckon Steve's yep. was too. What we saw, what I think people did was went, that's just Nathan. Yeah. That's just Steve. That's just who he is. And that's, you get you we, get pigeonholed. We mistook, but we mistook the symptoms for that's the who person. you are as a, that's your personality. Hundred percent. And we all just went, you know, that's who he is. You know, you know, if if you're talking about someone, and I, I, I and, and I, I do this a lot. I only ever talk from my experience because yep. I don't know yours. Yeah. Right? And I don't try and I, I really I get annoyed with people that start the sentence with "you do this and you do that and you do this" yeah. because you don't know what I do. Yeah. Right. I. If you're talking about someone who's trying to escape and trying to just bounce around, doesn't belong, can't yeah, fit yeah. in, I was in the football team and the debating team and jump jump between the two. Yeah, those those two things don't go together, no. right? I, I was in an English class with eleven women, and that sounds amazing, but the deputy principal was the teacher, and I was I, I sat on one row. There was a full row of empty desks, and then two rows of girls. Yeah, no one wanted to be anywhere near me. Yeah. So, the, the and that was advanced English. So the, the intelligent people didn't want anything to do with me. Yeah. The the football players, uh, there was a level of some, and not all, but there was uh, some people that were resentful, you know, of the success that I'd had. Yeah. So they didn't want to have anything. They wanted to try and take me down a notch. Yeah. You, you talk about that thing with that that fight with that guy. Yeah. That bred so much trouble for me. I had so many fights on the back of that. Because everyone because wanted, people wanted to take me down. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it was just stupid. Yeah. And I just had, I had no concept of where I fit. You know, I find out things later in life that, you know, people were mocking me behind my back in, in a group that I thought were my friends. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of things like that that just cemented that I didn't belong. Yeah, yeah. You know? And... That all that risk, that, and Steve was the same risk taking behavior. Me yeah. and Steve hung out a little bit, you know. We, yeah. we drank together sometimes. We did all that sort of stuff. And yeah. risk taking behavior. No one pierces their eyebrow in school, man. 
with a safety pin. <laughs> Who does that shit? That's a red flag, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Someone, if um, people listen to this now, if you're in high school and someone pierces their eyebrow that's, with a safety pin, that's self harm. Ask them how you're going, mate. <laughs> yeah. That is self harm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if that same kid had sat there and cut his arm with a knife, people wouldn't go, oh, that's just Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's, that's the crazy stuff he does. He's yeah, a fun stuff. Wacky Steve. <laughs> well, he stuck a piece of metal through his eyebrow, yeah. and we just went, that's Steve. I watched him do it. I watched him do it a couple times. Absolutely. I watched guys drink. We made homemade Zambuca at high school because, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched people drink that at lunchtime at high school and didn't oh. think that's risky behavior. That's just him. Uh, I can still remember a, a student. I'm pre- I've read, he'd have to be dead now. Um, who went to his mum's place and took I think, most of the serapacks that were in a medicine cupboard, came yeah. and sat in science, leaned back on the chair and collapsed, and they had to drag him out in an ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just him. That's just him. That's what he does. I'm pretty sure he didn't come back to school after that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, we ask the question, right, and we want people to ask that question, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah. But that's not enough. Right, because you ask that question, and yeah. like the kid that got dragged out of school, right? And I, I doubt that anyone followed that up. Yeah, yeah. I don't you know, know what happened to that kid. As I said, I assume he's dead now. Assume, yeah, but, right. But and I that's, don't know. that's quite possible. That was about thirteen, I think. We're about thirteen at that if stage. If one of the staff at your current job did that, yeah, what would you do? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be asking, how is she? What she? Is she okay? What happened? Make yeah. a couple of calls. Yeah. Again, the same guy that I was talking to you about who a, a, was a role model for me when I was young, yeah. right? He had a, a staff member where he worked start and then finished pretty much straight away yeah. and was very mysterious about how it all happened. Yeah. Now, he followed it up. He rang, yeah. sent a text message, sent an email. Yeah. When he got no responses, he sent another one. Just checking in, mate, because it was weird yeah. the way it all went down. Yeah. And he, he spoke to somebody else about that and said, look, is that... Like, yeah. do I have a duty of care here? And the guy's like, no, right. just let it go. Right. But he didn't, you know? And I said to him, you might be, in all honesty, you might be the reason that kid didn't kill himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you... You never know. Random random dude that, that knew him for two days yep. chased him up and just made sure he was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's easy to, for me to say, hey, Adam, how are you going, mate? How are you doing, mate? And you say, oh, I'm not doing all that well, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, you, you know, like you rightly said, get some professional help. Let's, yep. let's do that, all that sort of stuff. If I don't then ask again, yeah. well, how do I know? And, you know, people often ask me what the next step is. And, and, and the truth of it is, is I haven't fully developed the idea. Because part of this is exploring that. Absolutely. And with a bunch of people who, who I respect, who I know what the journey is, who I respect their opinions. I've always said that the, the beginning of it is a first aid approach. Yeah, for okay? sure. So it, it is, and not to impinge on copyrighted material, but it is simply just about, like, like I've always said, if you break your leg, I'm not going to do surgery on it. Correct. I'm going to make you comfortable and I'm going to get professionally to come and assist you. Absolutely. And it's the same thing. If, if you say I've, I've got massive depression and massive anxiety, okay, cool. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not going to try and fix this right now. But are you talking to a GP? Are you talking to somebody? And and one of the things that I do, and I actually did it just the other day because I am, uh, a, again, a school friend of ours who in the wake of Steve's death went out and got himself help and and, and he's – I just out of the blue messaged him the other day. 
Mate, I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. I haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah. You're not on Facebook anymore. I just want to see what you're, where you're at. And he said, oh, mate, thanks so much for checking in. He goes, just, you know, his mum passed away earlier this year. Just sold mum's house. Just got rid of her stuff. It's been a pretty tough couple of months. Been back at the councillors, so I'm, I'm working through it. But, you know, really appreciate you checking in. And, and, and part of it is the follow-up. It's 100%. not about taking it on board, though. Like no. For me, it's not about, like, you don't have a response. So in, in, in response you to what you said... You own my shit. And even with the duty of care where you talk about that kid, so I would say to you, the fact that he persisted as much as he did meant he probably went above and beyond what his duty of care Absolutely. level was. You know? Absolutely. Um, you know, eventually if the kids responded and gone, mate, this is the reason why, thanks for touching base with me, I really appreciate it. Cool. You've got to you draw know. a line, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, it's the, it's the how you go. And I'm, when we're saying this, how you going, mate? Right? This is not a random stranger in the street who, no. who looks like they're having a bad day. No, these are people that you know and care about. Yeah, right. So it's Adam, how you going, mate? Yeah, you know I'm not well. Blah blah blah. So we go and get you some help. Yeah, right. So you go and, and you see your GP. If I then go back to having the relationship exactly the same as it has yeah. been for five years, it's it's not going to work. Mm. You know. The next, for me, the next question is, how you going, mate? Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't have to only ask once. Underpinning the how you going, mate, message is it's almost the idea that you know what the answer is, as yeah. well. So, you know, I talk to people about the fact that, you know, hear the signs of depression. You know, um, unhealthy coping mechanisms, gambling, drugs, isolation, all of these sorts of things. Yeah, um, but also. You know, I know that you've got this in your background or I know that this life event has just happened. Um, I know that there's things happening for you. So it's not even just, it's not like oh, a rant, like it is, I know what the answer is. I know what I want to hear. Yeah. And if the person says, as you said earlier on, good, yeah, good thanks, mate, yeah. thanks. Yep. No, you're not. How's your mental health? Yeah. And I did the, um, the Lifeline suicide training last right. year, right? And when somebody says, oh, you know, I just can't see the point anymore right yeah are you thinking about suicide now that's a really tough question to ask because it's like that's super confronting like what do you have a plan you know and that's the first two questions no one's we want people to get comfortable with the idea of going mate i'm really worried about your mental health yeah what's happening for you and (laughs) talk about confronting like rehab for 28 days man (sighs) Yeah. I was in group therapy twice a day for an hour at a time. Yeah. You know, and I realized, and I hope that other people take something away from this, is that I was so broken yeah. that I didn't have an option. Hmm. I just had to throw everything out with the baby out with the bathwater and start over. Just had to go all in. Yeah. Use a gambling bar. Use a gambling. <laughs> I was all in yeah. because if I, was, if I wasn't all in, I was all out. Yeah. You know, and... I went in and the, the first thing they told me was trust the program yep. um, and work the process. Yeah. And I went, look, you guys... You're the experts. You know better than me. Yeah. You know, and I did. And I was open and honest with, with at that time, five people who were complete strangers to me. Yeah. And I'm still in contact with them today. Yeah. Two and a half years later. Yeah. I'm checking in on people. I've had two people from... You know, there's usually around, there's a rotating around 50 people yeah. that, are, that are in there at a time. And two people that were in there at the same time as me have killed themselves in the last two years. Okay. You know? So it's... it's, And they said to us at the start, at the very start, one of the first lectures I went to, and the, the, the hard part, right, is that 
the first le- lecture I went to was the last one you went to. Yeah, yeah. Because it rotates through, right? You yeah. don't start with a class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. class of twenty. Hey, we all graduated. Hey, We're all clean. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. But he said, and the, the senior therapist said, out of look around the group at the fifty people in this room. Yep. Two of you will make it. Yeah. Two of you will stay sober and clean from this day forward. The other forty-eight will relapse. They may suicide. They yep. may do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But they won't stay sober from this day forward. Yeah. That's alarming. Yeah. yeah. That's scary as hell. Yeah. And so correct. So you're one of the two. There's me and another guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't look. I don't. I haven't kept contact with all fifty of them. Hmm. But the ones that I have kept contact with, there's been issues. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know the answer to any addiction or any depression or any anxiety. I, I, I can, I can answer my question. I can't answer yours. Yeah, right. For me, if I don't, and I know that this is going to be, especially coming from me, for the people that know me, I had to develop a relationship with a higher power. Mm-hmm. Now, what that is, I don't know. I know it's not a fl- guy with a big beard sitting on a fluffy cloud yep. playing a harp. Yep. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, yep. but I had to understand that there was something greater than me because gambling and alcohol was. Mm. I needed something greater than those two mm-hmm. to, to control them because I couldn't. Mm. And when I'm not, and I'll, say, I'll use these words very dangerously because people get offended by the mm-hmm. G-O-D mm-hmm. word, right? But whatever that is, I'm, if I'm not spiritually fit today and spiritually connected to mm. what I call my universe, mm. which is the people in it, the places that I'm at, and whatever power there is in the universe, mm. I'm not a good person. And I, 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 I will 100% back that up by the fact that I've had Sharon, my wife Sharon say to me, right, you're behaving like an asshole. What's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. And she mm. said to me, have you prayed today? I said, no. She said, well, will you piss off and get that sorted? Yeah. And I feel better. Yeah. Right? Even if... And pray, prayer is such a thing that people get turned off instantly. I yeah. would not doubt right now there's people going, this guy's a quack. It's a period of it's mindfulness. It's quietness. 100%. It's, thank you. you. Know, yeah. It's quiet peace of mind for, for me for about mm. five or ten minutes it's meditative practice in eastern philosophy exactly it's the right. same thing it's whatever I, you want to call i it. did meditation i couldn't cope with medication meditation because i couldn't get my mind to stay quiet for that long yeah getting better at it now i i believe that you can meditate anywhere absolutely so you can completely focus yourself and focus attention on something and that's meditative if you can absolutely. use that to block out all the other things um and look i've similar thing i don't i'm not a religious person at all so no, i don't have I. that but um I also work on, and Gary Vaynerchuk says this, um, that, that idea of when you think about you, there's something bigger than you, yeah. well, to me, it's like, okay, so number one, they say that there's a one in 400 trillion chance that you will be born. Yes. And you live on a planet that, as far as we know, sits in the middle of this incredible expanse, and we are the only thing like us out there, as far as we know. As far as we know. <laughs> we are the only thing. Like, get... Get some perspective, get some gratitude, understand you've been given this incredible chance and do something with it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, just Absolutely. make it work. Do something with it. And people, you get this idea that do something with it means become president. No, no. If, if, if I do one thing with my life, 
right? If if having this conversation with you yep. means that one person yep. doesn't hurt themselves, doesn't take their own life, or decides to get treatment, yep. one person, yep, hundred percent, I've agree. done something with my life. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. That's all I need to do. If I if I wake up every morning, right, and this is this is what I do every morning. I wake up. I write a gratitude list of 10 things that I'm grateful for today. Now, that could be anything. Yep. You know, usually my, op, my <laughs> L- wife... Literally talking to someone about this this afternoon. Oh, that was in my gratitude list <laughs> literally yesterday. Literally talking to someone about this this afternoon. And, and this podcast was yep. in my gratitude list yesterday. Yep. I was grateful for the opportunity to do this. Yep. I'm grateful that my wife is still standing by me. I'm grateful for the kisses and hugs for my kids. Yep. All these, but I make sure I do at least ten, sometimes more, but yeah. at least ten. Yeah. I do that every morning, and yeah. then I pray. Yeah. Right, and people believe what you want to believe, don't believe what you don't want to believe. I don't really; it doesn't yeah. affect me one way or the other. Yeah, but I talk to my universe. But you take that moment of solitude. You take 100%. that moment to reflect, to think, to yeah. ask for something, to ask for the strength for something. Absolutely, move on with that day. Absolutely, and I, I, I ask for an open mind to deal with anything. Yeah. You know, and I get sent readings from various programs that I'm in. Yep. You know, daily readings, which is whatever it is. Yep. I read those and I forward them on to another group of people. Yeah. You know, maybe 10 or 12, 15 people. Yep. That they there would then, like, I, I, I'm in daily communication with a female Jamaican lady who lives in Jamaica, mm-hmm. who is a compulsive gambler. Mm hmm who I communicate with daily with those daily readings and just check in to see if she's okay because they don't have gambling counselling and they don't have GA over there. Yeah, yeah. So she's sort of feeling pretty isolated and she's on a Facebook page, which is yeah. where I met her. Yeah. And I just send her a message every morning. Yeah. Which is afternoon there, I think. Yeah. But that message that I send her gets sent to me by someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I forward that reading on and it's just a little message yeah. for myself And every well. day she looks after, looks out for that message and that's... Her po- little touch point. Possibly the highlight of a day. Possibly. Like, truthfully. Or maybe she sees my face and it's the low light of a day. I don't well, know. You never know. <laughs> it's possible. Maybe she shares that with a couple of other people. Right? What it is, is that there's a guy that lives in Canterbury who's a recovering gambling addict who sends those readings out. Mm-hmm. And he now knows that that reading that he sends out ends up in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. And possibly further. Yep. The ripple effect of his recovery yeah, yeah. is reaching someone across the other side of the world. Yep. That's the beauty of, of the... When I talk about higher power, that's the beauty of that connection. Yep. Whatever that, that thing is that makes that happen, right? Whatever it is, whatever motivates you to do that, mm. you know, and people say it all the time, coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. No. I believe that my higher power, again, whatever that is, puts people in places for me to find them and for them to find me. Yeah. And it either gives me what I needed or gives them what they needed. The teacher will appear when you need to learn the lesson. Boom. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sitting there at home, what, a week and a half ago, whatever it was, going, and I've been talking to to people about becoming a counsellor and starting a new career and all this sort of stuff and how can I best reach people and how can I help people and... Here comes a message. Adam, do you want to do a podcast? Yep. And as I Where said, does that come from? As I said at the start, I, my biggest fear was that you were going to go, no, nah, mate, I, I can't talk about this publicly. Like, I just I don't want to expose myself like that. Can't do it. Yeah. But, you know, thanks for asking me. And when you sent it back and you went, absolutely, 
no problem, whatever you need. I went, oh, yes, okay, cool. And, and you know, this is the first of as many as I can do. Absolutely. And I'm happy to come back for 100. (laughs) Mate, I do this every week. (laughs) You never know. I might be back next fortnight. (laughs) Look, if everybody says no. Yeah. Well, now I've always got Nate. I know we can rely on him. That's it. And, look, the the funny part, and I mean funny as in sort of not ha-ha funny, is that... When I became vulnerable with, with and as, a, as we go back to the whole thing with work, right? I told everybody yep. that I was in rehab, that I have an alcohol problem and a gambling problem. And I did that for one reason, mm. my own safety, Yep. right? There's two things that, that, that achieved for me. And I don't recommend it for everyone because you've all yeah. got your own journey. But what it did for me is it meant that people didn't ask me to come out for a drink. Yep. People didn't ask me to go down and have a slap on the pokies. Yep. Right? And what it, the, the other side to that coin is that nobody in my entire organization can say, if you don't do something, I'm going to tell everyone you're an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No one because holds it over you. Everyone knows. Yeah. And the other thing it did, the unexpected consequence that I had, the amount of people that have come up to me and gone, hey, dude, I've got a friend who, who's exhibiting this behavior. What do you think? Hmm. Or, yeah, man, I'm not feeling all that great. You know, I've got some problems. If it was have, good have enough you got, for you, it was good enough for me. Have you got five minutes for a chat? Yep. It's mind-blowing. Yep. Oh. It's that vulnerability. Once you tell people, the amount of people that start telling, it's like, where did you all come from? Yeah. <laughs> and they were always there, right? We were yeah. just all thinking that we were the only one. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not. That's the, the, the biggest thing that I get from, and I, as I said to you, I still go to a number of meetings every week. Yeah. And the biggest thing I get from that is that I belong. Yeah, I am connected. There are other people like me. Yes, and I'm okay. And I'm okay. I think we leave it there. I, th- I think that's a that's perfect a, spot. I love it. And thank you so much for anyone who um, is going through any addiction problems. Um, if you want to reach out to, there's a number of different phone numbers that you can find. If you wanted to reach out to Adam, and I'll, he'll be happy to pass on my details. If you want to get in contact with me directly, beautiful. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thanks for having it. Having me, I really appreciate it.